If you have a Bible near you, I would encourage you to open it up to Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're going to go back and forth between some of the text that we saw today or that was read today. As we continue our sermon series called The First Christians, we're looking at the life and the death of Stephen. We're also talking about and celebrating the reality of All Saints Day and what that means for us. And as I was studying this text and looking through, especially the last few moments of Stephen's life, there's two points I want to focus on, practically speaking, applicating or application for us today, but also what we see in the text. Number one, Stephen had a death worth celebrating. But before that, and leading up to it, we see a life worth imitating. And how can I say in our culture that he had a death worth celebrating? That doesn't jive with the way we think in America in 2022. But to get us thinking about it, I want to show you a clip from admittedly a movie that's not very good. Don't waste two hours of your life going and watching Oblivion starring Tom Cruise about a guy named Jack who figures out how to save the world from a race of aliens bent on destroying all of humanity. And in this final scene, pay attention to how this character Jack talks about death to an alien that he has nicknamed Sally. Let's watch this. Jack, you're doing the right thing. I don't know what you are or where you're from, but I'd like to tell you about something I read. A story from Rome, a city you destroyed. It's a classic. There was a guy, Horatius, held the bridge alone against a whole army. And what Horatius said was, how can a man die better? You don't have to die, Jack. She doesn't have to die. Everybody dies, Sally. The thing is to die well. Everybody dies, Sally. The thing is to die well. I love that line. It awakens in me an inner Viking. The Vikings, a culture in which it was dishonorable to die as an old person in your bed. It was honorable to die with a sword in your hand, fighting for your family, fighting for your country. Think about some of the movies that you love. I'm thinking about Braveheart and Gladiator, James Bond even. These movies in our culture that celebrate someone who risks their lives for a greater cause saves the world, saves their family. I think, at least for me, I'm attracted to those movies because I hope somewhere in this heart is enough courage that should I be put in that kind of situation, I could rise to the occasion, I could give my life, and I could die well. Thank you very much, Tom Cruise. Well, we see that in our text here today. Stephen is... Going up against the religious leaders, they have been growing more and more concerned about the Christian movement. They're becoming more and more antagonistic against the Christians. Stephen faces them, and with great courage and with great boldness, did you hear what Pastor Abel said? He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, Admittedly, Stephen could have used a really good HR person, you know, filter this through. Some leadership skills would have been nice. You know, Stephen, you maybe heard the principle that when you're going to criticize someone, you kind of start with a compliment first, 
Then you point out what's wrong with him. Stephen pulls the gloves off. Great courage, great boldness. He speaks the truth. And the end result is that he is the very first martyr of the Christian church, of what would be hundreds and thousands of men and women who refuse to recant, who refuse to bend a knee to the emperor or other religious systems and give their life ultimately for the sake of the gospel. As we think about our own culture here today, this is also where probably what it means to die well in America as Christians or as, as uh, citizens of another country begins to diverge from what it means to die well in Christendom. You know, this last summer, uh, many people were affixed to Queen Elizabeth's uh, death and her funeral. Did anybody watch that on TV? Wow, mom and dad, you're the only ones. Yeah, you, you did. I thought everybody was into this thing. Bad sermon illustration. We'll fix that for the next one. A lot of people in England were affixed to the Queen's death, and they watched it on TV. They five days of mourning all over the world. This was broadcast, and her life was celebrated. She was seen as a heroine, somebody who led Britain faithfully for so many years. She was looked up to by many, many, many people, and her death, in that sense, was celebrated. But in our text here today, Stephen's death was a little bit different. Instead of actually helping people, instead of saving people from a burning building or whatever reason we might honor a fallen hero, Stephen's speech and his resulting death actually brought calamity to the Christians. It made their lives worse. The very beginning of chapter 8, we're told that because of this, a great persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem, and they are scattered. Families torn apart. And from this point on, for at least the next 300 years, Christians would be persecuted. So how can we say that Stephen's death is actually a death worth celebrating? Well, to do that, we actually have to go back to our first point and look at Stephen's life, a life worth imitating. And this is a phrase that we like to use, you know, our mission, our vision that you've heard so many times this last couple of months to help ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ, a way that we summarize that and kind of neatly tied up in a little package is to say that we simply want to have lives worth imitating. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in Stephen. First of all, if you go back with me to Acts chapter 6, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but the disciples have a problem. They're not meeting the, the real needs, the physical needs of people in the community, and so they devise a plan. And they say, pick out among you seven men, and here's the characteristics, of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. This is the type of leader that they're looking for to help add to the community, add to the leadership of the Christian church. And then in verse 5, it says that it pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And he's the only one that gets this description. You know, Philip and Prochorus, these are all good men, but Stephen seems to rise above. He's the cream of the crop. And Luke goes on uh, later in 6, 8. That's the wrong verse there. It's actually chapter 6, verse 8. says that Stephen is full of grace and power, and he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. And it was these great signs and wonders that actually get him in trouble in the first place. It says that the Sanhedrin don't like what he's saying. And if you remember back from Acts chapter 4, they very specifically said to Peter and John, stop talking about Jesus. Stop. Or there's going to be consequences. And now they see this Stephen going out and doing the exact same thing. And they pull him aside and they question him. They try to get him to recant. They try to persuade him that what he believes is wrong. 
The text tells us that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. He can't be persuaded. He is very wise. And then in verse 11, it says that they secretly instigated men who said, we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So now they're hitting below the belt, much like they did to Jesus, trying to trip him up. They're falsely accusing him. And if you go with me to 7-1, he gets an audience with the high priest, with Caiaphas. He says, are these things so? And notice what Stephen says next. He doesn't answer it. At least right away, he doesn't answer it. He has a chance. He could actually save himself, perhaps, from what's going to happen. But do you recall what Jesus said to the disciples when he was alive? He said, when you, not if, but when you find yourself being persecuted, do not worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the Holy Spirit will actually speak through you. And that's what's happening here with Stephen. This is not him, if you will. This is God's Spirit speaking through this man. He does a 10-minute sermon. And he connects Moses to King David to King Solomon. He talks about the prophets in between. And he addresses their concern by talking about the temple. And he basically says, look, you're so concerned about the temple. You're so concerned about the outside of the human condition and, and looking good in front of everybody and doing all the right things so that you look good, so that everything is good on the outside. But what he's doing when he calls them a stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised in eyes. He's actually being very pastoral because the religious leaders were so far from the truth and the reality what's at the very heart of God, which is his love. And he needs them to know this because they're living outside of the, the amazing grace, the amazing love that God has for them and all this external religious stuff. They're just, they're just going through the motions. There's no faith there. There's no love. And so very... Boldly and pastorally, Stephen points that out. Obviously, the religious leaders reject it. I think it's hard for us to imagine this. They pull him by his cloak. They drag him out in the street. There is no trial. Pick up very heavy stones, circle around him, and essentially beat him to death with rocks. But remember, we're talking about a life worth imitating. And did you notice how Stephen responds in the middle of his murder? Go with me to chapter 7, verse 60. He looks up to heaven and he prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, who does that? Who in the middle of their murder can actually pray for forgiveness of those who are taking their lives? Who can ask this, ask for forgiveness of somebody who has not repented, somebody who may never repent of what they've done? Who can do this? No one, <laughs> except for Jesus. Who, if you remember, on the night when he died, He's up on the cross, and he's looking at the soldiers who nailed him to the cross. He's looking out at these same exact religious leaders who are mocking him, laughing at him, saying, come down, Jesus, if you're the Son of God. One of the very last things he utters, Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so what we see in Stephen is really 
not a great man by himself. What Stephen is doing and what made him and gave him a life worth imitating is he is simply looking at Jesus. And he's thinking back to the things that Jesus taught and he's thinking back to the things that Jesus did, this incredible love, this incredible grace that Jesus had for humanity, even his enemies, even those who would take his life. And what it means to have a life worth imitating is simply to try to do the things that we see Jesus doing. And that love, the gospel penetrated Stephen's heart. He became less like his sinful self, more like this amazing savior that we have in Jesus. That's what it means to have a life worth imitating. But what about a death worth celebrating? Well, the key to that is actually the answering of Stephen's prayer. Remember, he says, Father, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. Look with me at the very beginning of chapter 8, and you see that there's a man named Saul who is approving his execution. He is holding the cloak of the older, wiser men while they do the business, but Saul is in approval of it. And if you keep looking through chapter 8, you'll see that Saul gets a promotion. He becomes the chief persecutor, and he goes from church to church, dragging off, in verse 3, both men and women, committing them to prison. So this is Saul separating families, destroying the Christian church. It takes him all over Jerusalem. It takes him out into Samaria, and one day... Acts chapter 9 tells us that he goes to a town called Damascus, and on his way, Jesus appears to him. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's blinded, and he's brought into a house of another Christian. This Christian preaches the gospel to him. Saul converts to Christianity. He changes his name to Paul. Paul in Greek means little one or humble or less than. And he used that name because he's thinking back to what happened to Stephen. And the pain that he had caused all these Christians throughout Jerusalem, he doesn't feel worthy to be called an apostle. He's the less or least of the apostles, he would say later on in one of his writings. And yet this humble little one, tiny apostle, goes on to literally change the world. He is the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen and known. He plants thousands of churches. He converts thousands of people. He writes most of the New Testament preaches thousands of sermons. He provides the leadership that the church needed during a time of crisis and persecution. And yet that wasn't Paul. As great as a man that we might say Paul was by today's standards, by using our own metric of his success, it wasn't Paul. It was the answer of a prayer of a dying man, Stephen, who maybe even saw Paul there said, Father, forgive him. Do not hold this sin against him. And what is Stephen doing? He's just repeating what he saw Jesus do. He's just imitating Jesus, you see. And as we think about our own lives, maybe today you don't feel like you have a life worth imitating. And you think back on some great mistake that you made, some great sin. Maybe you're not sure what's going to happen to you. When you die, will your death be celebrated? Well, let's take a look at how Paul dealt with this. You know, it's really cool to think about the reason we know about the account of Stephen is because of Paul. Paul was a companion of Luke. Luke is the one that wrote the book of Acts. And Paul had to recount what he heard Stephen say 
and what he did to Stephen. So Paul had to admit this great weakness that he did, this great sin that he committed. He had to live with that for the rest of his life. And yet, this is what Paul has to say about death. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. See, the teaching that we need to really hone in on, if we want to have a life worth imitating, if we want to have a death worth celebrating, we need to stop looking inward as our culture teaches. Stop. Because we get to look upward. We get to look at Jesus, who the text tells us is not sitting at the right hand of God, as we're about to say in our Apostles' Creed. In this moment, when Stephen is dying, he is standing at the right hand of God, as if he has his arms open wide and saying, welcome home, brother. The same Jesus in whose name you've been baptized into, in whose presence we're about to receive through the sacrament, his very body and blood would say the same thing to you today, dear brother and sister. Welcome home in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.